Hi folks, this is Jacob Grace with Grassland 2.0. This is another episode of Stories on Pasture, stories from the grazing community about their experiences getting started and going forward. Today we'll be hearing from Kevin Opperman, a bee farmer from south of Madison, Wisconsin. You'll hear how Kevin got started farming after growing up in the suburbs, how selling at farmer's markets has made him a better cook, and how managed grazing made his farming dreams possible. Here's Kevin Opperman talking with me in July of 2021. My name is Kevin Opperman. I'm the owner of Highland Spring Farm in the town of Dunn, just outside of Madison, Wisconsin. We raise Scottish Highland cattle and sell to area farmer's markets, restaurants, and at our farm store. Today we are at the Stoneman family farm, which was my grandparents' farm. My great-grandparents moved here in 1918, and my grandfather was born here. Over the last 10 years, we've converted about 100 acres of cropland into permanent pasture, which we rotationally graze to feed our cattle. I didn't realize, so this is your grandparents' This is my grandparents, farm. yeah. That's yeah. really cool. Yep. And they milked about 25 brown Swiss cows in there, so it's got all the old stanchions and milk house and everything. And uh, the, the building behind us was the horse barn when they used to have horses for, you know, before tractors and even when they had tractors. So it's, there's a lot of history here and the house has been added on to 20 times. And <laughs> so nothing makes sense. And it, there's two kitchens in the house um, because when my mom was growing up, her grandparents lived on one half on what we call the apartment side. And then um, my mom's family lived on the other side. And so my grandfather and great-grandfather farmed together their entire lives. Um, and my grandpa retired from milking cows when he turned 75, um, which is just mind blowing to me that <laughs> someone would be able to, to milk cows till they're 75 years old and put up thousands of small square bales uh, and everything. We, we put up small square bales for like three years and immediately quit. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I don't know how old you are, but you got a long way to go. We got a long way to go before we're 75. Yeah, I'm old, but I'm not that old. <laughs> so farming skipped a generation for us. I grew up outside of Milwaukee um, in, in a very normal suburb, um, but I always had a desire to farm. So I had all the toy tractors when I was little and um, my mother says that her, her carpets were never as clean as when I wanted to get my tractors out to plant fields in, in our carpets and, and whatnot. Um, but I just couldn't figure out how I wanted to farm or how I'd be able to farm. We didn't have thousands of, of acres of land and millions of dollars worth of equipment, um, but we did have a sweet corn business. And so uh, when my grandparents, uh, or when I graduated high school, my grandparents turned over the sweet corn business to me. And that was my summer job during college. Um, and I still couldn't quite figure it out. Uh, so I went to work for a healthcare software company for a few years. And it was during that time that I really started to get interested in, in where food comes from and, and started researching things. And so uh, we had uh, 35 acres of pasture and, and woods that the dairy cows used to be in and we were mowing it down and it was a never ending battle against uh, buckthorn and honeysuckle and burdock. And so, uh, we, Finally, we decided to get a couple cows, and so we bought two cows and two calves. Uh, and with the idea of raising one for our family and selling the other one to pay for everything, and then my little hobby got completely out of control, and we now have about 45 mama cows and a herd size of about 150 to 200 at a given time, uh, which we finish about 
60 to 70 steers a year for our beef sales. So it's amazing when you look out in the, the big woods, a lot of those uh, old oak trees you couldn't see the base of because there is so much honeysuckle and, and brush and everything that has surrounded it. And so there are, there are very clear and distinct lines throughout the pasture where you can see that we slowly expanded our fences to the point where, okay, now the cattle have cleared all the stuff out of here and it's time to go on to the next one. Um, until we got to the point where we basically had to, to kind of get some machines in the, and do some mechanical clearing um, because some of that stuff, the cows just couldn't clear down. <laughs> it was just too big. Um, but yeah, there's, there's places that I've never been able to walk in 35 years that we can walk through clear as day now because the cattle have, have done such a good job clearing that out. And so we kind of outgrew the, the old dairy pasture and, and slowly started converting um, cropland into permanent pasture to the point where this year we took over the entire farm uh, and have planted everything to grass and we'll be grazing everything by next year. This year we are doing uh, three farmers markets. We do a west side community market um, on the west side of Madison. We do a market at Epic in Verona and during sweet corn season we also sell our beef at the Fitchburg farmers market on Thursday afternoons. We get a lot of questions about the way we raise our cattle. Uh, primarily the customers at farmer's markets are certainly want it to taste good. Um, that's their number one concern. But uh, the questions that they ask are how we raise our animals. Uh, are they stuck in a feedlot for their entire lives or are they out on pasture? Um, what kind of life do they have? Uh, they're also interested in, in learning about the whole process. So uh, they want to know where we get our calves from if we uh, raise and breed our own animals or if we buy in cattle um, and then all the way through the process, processing and butchering uh, part of the, the life cycle in which we uh, how we decide what steaks and roasts we're going to have uh, how that process is handled and and so I think those customers particularly at the farmers market are, are really interested in learning um, everything there is to know about about the process. They're really engaged in, in that aspect of how they choose where they're gonna buy their food from. When I tell the story about how we raise our animals, we tell them that the cattle are out on pasture, uh, they're raised on, on sunshine and pasture, um, and, and that they really have a really nice life and, and just one bad day is kind of our tagline. Um, the, we tell them that the cattle move daily and that we are giving the cattle fresh pasture every day so that they can uh, eat what's best. We explain it somewhat as a salad bar, that the cattle will go to the salad bar and they just want to eat the ice cream plants, uh, but we force them to eat their, their vegetables too. And so by giving them just the amount of area that they can eat in one day, uh, that helps the, the cattle uh, eat everything, but it also helps our pastures improve too, so that uh, the good plants or the des most desirable plants aren't eaten to the ground while the weeds and, and the less desirable plants are allowed to flourish. By having those cattle clear everything and then move on and, and give that pasture plenty of rest, uh, we're able to improve the amount of cattle that we're able to have uh, in a particular pasture. We're able to graze longer throughout the season, uh, which is uh, great for us and, and great for the, the cattle in the land that they don't have to eat stockpiled forages. and um, and it just is, works out really well for our system. And so I think that's when we start talking, that's telling that story and, and talking to people about that, um, 
it brings up a whole variety of questions. You know, isn't that a lot of work? Isn't, why, do you, why do you do that? Is that what everybody does? And, and it's not. Um, it's not necessarily something that everybody does, but it's something that we are big advocates for and, and try to encourage other farmers to do because uh, in the long run, we believe it's easier and it's better for the land and it's better for the cattle. When we talk about the way we graze, um, we certainly are doing things differently uh, than a lot of farmers in the area or, or around the country do. Um, one of the, the ways that we got started was that we put out cattle just out in the pasture. Um, and then we were finding that we were feeding hay from September through May, and we were only grazing for a few months out of the year. Uh, we started researching and trying to figure out a better way because feeding hay is very time intensive all summer long making the hay and and then all winter long feeding the hay. So we, we got involved in, and started learning about rotational grazing. Um, and so that, and then by rotating, uh, we were able to extend our, our uh, graze time over the year uh, to the point where now we only feed hay for three or four months out of the year, depending on on the year and feed hay and graze the rest of the time. Now, a lot of farmers, especially in, in, a lot of farmers around the country, I think just turn their cattle out and when they graze everything, it's done and then they start feeding hay. Um, and it's certainly easy in the sense that you don't have to spend a lot of time with the cattle, um, but we like being out with the cattle and seeing them every day. They're, they're ready to move. When we go out there in the afternoon to move fences, they're ready to go. Um, and it seems like the cattle really enjoy it too. When someone comes up to our table, the question we often get asked is, what, it, what do I want? Um, and so we, we direct them to a variety of things. We explain uh, the various steaks that we have, that uh, the tenderloin is the most tender steak, but maybe not the most flavorful. The sirloin is the most flavorful steak, but not necessarily the most tender. Um, and so we, we get a lot of questions about just what type of cut uh, the the person wants, which I always think is such a funny question that you, somebody knows that they want meat, uh, but they don't necessarily know what they want. Uh, so that's, that's always question number one. Question number two is, is what in the world are these hairy beasts that you have? Because we have Scottish Highlands and they're long hair and, and big horns, they don't look like your conventional cattle uh, that you see, that the black Angus or the Holstein um, that's, that's dominate uh, Wisconsin pastures. So we have to explain the breed and, and why we chose this breed, that they're more tender, that they're more flavorful, that uh, we think they do great in Wisconsin. Um, and then the third question that we get uh, is just how do you how do you raise your animal and our animal husbandry and animal welfare practices that and we explain that you know they have a really good life and and just that one bad day. When we're at a farmers market, I think they'll a lot of the questions are the same and re repetitive, um, but they're all good questions. You know, they're they're everybody's kind of got their own take on on those types of of questions that they have. That um, in general, people want to know, you know, how the animals are raised and, and what we do, and and have general questions about it. And so we we tend to answer the same questions over and over again, um, but we don't always give the same answers. You know, sometimes we we. Uh, we think of something the first time and, and forget about to tell people the next five times that we hear that question. Um, but I think in general, uh, people, people have very similar questions and I think that's the type of education that we like to do um, to, to let people know that you know, these, if you choose to, to buy your beef from us, you're buying beef that's raised out on pasture for two to two and a half years. Uh, that's not sitting knee deep in a feedlot in, in uh, Nebraska or Colorado. Um, and, and 
I think people really respond well to that and, and we see a lot of repeat customers after that. I've become a much better cook by selling beef. Um, I know more about steaks and roasts and unique cuts uh, than I ever imagined that I would when I said I'm gonna be a full-time farmer. Uh, we, we get a lot of questions of people who don't know what the cut that they wanna buy um, and then we tell them about the options and then once they select one, the, the follow-up question is, well, how do I cook it? Um, and so, you know, we've, we've become experts. We've developed a, a little bit of a recipe portfolio on our website of ways to cook some of our more unique cuts um, so that people can buy a culotte and figure out how to, to make it because they can't even say the word to begin with and then uh, they don't know how to cook it once they decide that that's, that's the cut they want. Um, and so that's been a, a really kind of a fun thing to do. Um, is to create those recipes and it's the, we've gotten to the point where now we're willing to try some of the more unique cuts and so now we're we've got recipes for heart and we've got recipes for tongue um, and some of those cuts that that people are the really adventurous eaters are willing to try uh, but it's it's amazing how what a different it's not all the same people are buying those unique cuts. Um, it's not the, the little old ladies who you'd expect you know, to eat the liver and the tongue. There's a lot of young people that are, are really interested in that too. And so there's not a lot of in the middle, but it's, it's a lot of little old ladies and, and 25 year olds that are more than happy to, to eat the, the tongue and the liver and the heart. I think there's a lot of motivators for why someone might choose to buy our beef. Um, certainly the, the story um, and the way that we raise our animals is important to people, um, but it's got to taste good too. And so it's, it's great to have a good story and it's great to, to have uh, interesting looking animals and, and raise them the right way. But if you don't, if it doesn't taste good, uh, then people aren't coming back. And so um, because our, our product tends to be higher priced than, than a lot of our competitors at the farmer's market, we don't we're not competing on price. Uh, we're really competing on, on animal welfare and, and on the taste. And I think that the way we raise our animals and, and by rotating and giving them all that time out on pasture to, uh, to get fat on the grasses that we're able to grow here, that's, that's what drives that flavor and that texture uh, that people come back for. I think if, if someone was interested in in starting to direct market the cattle, the way I would start is exactly how we started, selling quarters and halves. It's the easiest way for someone to, uh, to get their foot wet, uh, get their foot in the door on, on uh, sell, direct marketing. By selling quarters and halves, uh, you have a one-time interaction with the customer. The customer is taking uh, the entire animal so you're not stuck with freezers full of, of chuck roasts and short ribs. You can can get rid of everything um, right away. And you're getting a fair price for the whole animal. The customer is getting a great deal compared to what they might pay for it in the store or at a farmer's market. Uh, our quarters and halves are priced at about a 20% discount off of retail. Um, and they're, they'll have their freezers full for a year. So I think that's the easiest way for someone to get into direct marketing. Uh, it takes a certain amount of quantity of animals in order to start selling by the cut because you need to deal with the fluctuations of seasons. It's really hard to sell a lot of chuck roasts and shoulder roasts in, uh, in summer when people are ready to have their 4th of July barbecues and want to have steaks on the grill compared to um, the winter when people aren't maybe as, as apt to be out in the snow grilling but are looking for that good wholesome uh, warm meal of, of a soup or a, a roast or something like that. And so you kind of have to deal with that 
the seasonality of the cuts and, and be willing to have a freezer full of, of truck roasts until you can get around to the fall season and winter seasons when people are looking for that, that type of cut. When I talk to customers, I try to make it very on their level um, in the sense that um, most of our customers are interested in, in where their food comes from. They're interested in, in learning it, but they're not necessarily interested in the intricacies of how many cow days per acre I have or the forage types that we have in our pastures. So we, we have one person who works for us, Anna, who is fantastic. Um, she came to UW uh, to go to school. She's from the greater Boston area. Um, so certainly not farmland or have a farm background, but she has a strong interest in cattle and always wanted to farm. And, and so somehow we got hooked up um, through, I believe she passed her resume on to, to someone in, uh, the, at UW who passed it along and it, it got forwarded to me after about 12 forwards of, of different uh, agency people and, and UW staff and whatnot. Um, and so we decided to take a chance and it, it worked out really well. Um, I never thought that we would hire someone and it was really hard to figure out when the right time was to, to expand to the point where we needed someone else. And, uh, and I believe Anna was here for a week and we had run out of everything I thought we were gonna do over the summer. It was amazing how much more we got done uh, just having an extra set of hands. Um, and, and Anna's developed um, and her skills have, are to the point where she can basically run everything. Um, now on the cattle side. So she, she feeds the cattle all winter um, while I'm able to, to do other things and, and focus on some more of the, the marketing and, and relationships that we have with our restaurants. Um, and she moves, she's responsible for moving the cattle every day and making sure that the, everybody's in, in good health and in good condition. And then we work together on a lot of things too. We'll build fence together, we'll do our, our health protocols and vaccines and pregnancy check-ins, um, those types of jobs that you need multiple hands for. Um, but we, we wouldn't be where we were today if we didn't have Anna helping out. And it's really just made a world of difference uh, in, in being able to accelerate where we wanted to be at this point. The number one place that I go when we have questions about cattle and is to uh, the internet. We, we use YouTube, uh, we use face, various Facebook groups and, and um, people that we've met that way. Um, but that's our primary source of, of information on how we do things. And, and sometimes it's wrong. Um, and, and sometimes there's things and parts and pieces that we can take from different videos that we see and apply them um, and try them out. But I think that's, that's the number one place is just using Google, using YouTube, using Facebook uh, to, to connect with people uh, around the world that, that share our interest. It's, it's a lot easier uh, for us to, to do that than it is to, to find someone uh, nearby because our neighbors aren't doing what we're doing. Um, so we're able to connect with that, that community that we have uh, of like-minded people, um, but those like-minded people might be in Alabama or Montana or, or Minnesota or wherever. Um, and so that's, that's number one. Number two, I think, is just attending as many uh, pasture walks and, and on-farm demonstrations is that we can. Um, and like I said, oftentimes that requires a bit of travel uh, for us to, to go out and, and find those places that it might be an hour or two away, but it's worth it to, to see those different experiences and, and see what people have done. Uh, and then the third place that we get our information from is the Grassworks Conference uh, in, in the Wisconsin Dells every year. Um, that's been a, a wealth of of information for us to attend those learn education sessions and, and connect with people. And after going for five or six years now, we have a good you know, group of friends and, and 
acquaintances and, and contacts that we can call on for, um, for types of questions that we know or we heard in a session that they experienced and we thought that would never apply to us. And then all of a sudden, two years later, we're having the same problem that they had. Um, and so we can kind of draw on that knowledge and that, that knowledge base to, to get our questions answered. I think those, are, those three are, are the primary, primary way that we, we figure stuff out um, for the, the weird stuff that we do. Well, you know, if we have a question about making hay or uh, a tractor or something, we can obviously go to the neighbors. But, but for the the unique stuff that we do, um, it's it's the internet, it's grassworks, um, it's pasture walks. This has been an episode of the Grasscast: Stories on Pasture. Grasscast is a project of Grassland 2.0, which believes that caring for the land means caring for ourselves and that perennial farming systems are our best option for doing so. If you want to learn more about Grassland 2.0, you can visit our website, www.grasslandag.org. Thanks for listening.